This is episode number 178 of the Rising Man podcast with Matt Sinkovitz. Porn is just another thing keeping you from facing off with the challenge that's right in front of you. Welcome back, Rising Man family. I'm so grateful to have you joining me here today. If you don't know me by now, my name is Jetty Zuma. I'm the founder and creator of Rising Man and honored to be here checking in for another episode of the podcast today. Before we go anywhere, make sure you swing by risingman.org. Look at all the opportunities and events we have coming up. We got a pretty busy summer with some new things popping off. We've got another round of Inferno that's going to be launching in August. And we are doing our elements at the end of June. You guys can probably still sneak in and grab your ticket if it's not too late. But otherwise, there's so many other things you guys can become a part of to challenge yourself to grow and to become a bigger part of the Rising Man community today. So go to risingman.org and go check it out. All right, my guest for today is Matt Sinkovitz. Matt has been a practitioner and teacher of personal and spiritual development for over a decade. He's an avid student of mindfulness and meditation. Matt graduated from the Blue Mountain School of Mindfulness Arts Seminary Program in May 2018 with a master's in Buddhist ministry and was ordained Osho, or priest, in May 2019. Overcoming his 20-plus year compulsive relationship with porn, Matt has been inspired to share his journey and support other men in their path to liberation. He now facilitates one-on-one and group coaching support for men working through porn addiction. Through his online Facebook support community, Making Peace with Porn, Matt currently runs the 90-Day Liberation Bootcamp, as well as the 7-Day Porn Abstinence Challenge. In this episode, Matt and I got to the heart of what keeps men running back to porn and masturbation as an escape. First, we discuss the self-defining nature of what it means to be a man, how being a man of integrity and following through on your word will change your life. We discuss commitment as a practice, not something we were born knowing how to do. We identified porn as an escape, no different than any other vice or substance, and how we can learn to leverage our commitments and promises into the life we actually want. We talked about why being a committed man is simpler, but more difficult than giving into our vices. And lastly, that not all porn is bad. You got to decide what your position is on porn and how you want to engage with it. Without further ado, Matt Sinkovitz. Okay, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man joining me here today, coming in live from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Matt Sinkovitz. Welcome to the show, bro. Thank you, Jetty. It's an honor to be here, brother. I always enjoy when I get the East Coasters on here. It's like it's East Coast connection that comes alive in me. And I've been really excited. Shout out to Julian Subic, the show producer here. He's the one who put you on my map because I didn't know about you before this. But from what I've learned, you're quite an expert in this field and you've put in your reps to get to the place that you are. So looking forward to getting to know you better, man. Before we get into our conversation about pornography and taking that whole topic a few layers deeper, let me ask you the question I ask everybody on this show, and that's, what does it mean to be a man? Wow, that's a a great question, a very interesting question, you know. Biologically, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? But I think, you know, for me, the conversation that's most important and relevant is what does it take to be a man of nobility, a man of integrity, to be a man of honor? And to me, that comes down to being a man that our commitments to ourselves, being uh, men of our word and our commitments to others. And I think living according to our heart, living to our conscious and living in alignment with that true self, that voice that calls us forth into the men that we know we are called to be and living the lives that we are called to live. Yeah. Being compassionate and loving men as well. And I think 
multidimensional men that are also willing to experience the full breadth of what it is to be a human and experience all those emotions and express all those emotions, you know? Do you think that to be a man, there's a benchmark, there's certain qualities or milestones that you have to hit that defines you as a man? Or do you think it's a little bit more subjective? I think a little more subjective. You know, it's really interesting. You know, I'm 37 years old and I often reflect upon my own journey. like, hmm, am I a man yet? Do I feel like a man? At what point do we really know that about ourselves, you know? But I think, again, going back to my initial reply to you is being a man of integrity, being a man of honor, living according to a set of more noble ideals, you know, uh, living our purpose in the world, you know, the willingness to go into our own personal hell and come back out with the gold, you know, and our own lessons. Yeah, being virtuous men, being heart-centered men, you know. So maybe these are just different qualities in the full journey of, of what it is to fully become and realize ourselves as men. I'm going to take it a little bit deeper too, because I asked this question right off the bat. It's a little bit of a trap, right? Because who out there is really the man police that gets to say, that's a man, that's not a man. I've come to find from asking this question hundreds of times that there's really no singular definition of what it means to be a man. And that's why I ask it, because I think that I'm currently, I wake up today, I put on my pants and I'm defining what it means for me to be a man today by how Mm -hmm. I show up, by what I value, by the intrinsic values I I put my time and attention towards. Like you said, integrity, nobility, doing the right thing, being virtuous, all of that. I'm like, yeah, I'm not in my head. For me, that's part of my journey in being a man. I'm like, wow, me and Matt, we really sync up in what we think being a man is. Mm -hmm. But in the same sentence, I'd also believe that there are people out there who would identify themselves as men, but don't put a high value on integrity. Yeah. Don't put a high value on nobility that say, no, nah, man, to be a man means to be successful, whatever the cost. And I think that's where the debate opens up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. If that man were sitting on this Zoom call with us and we were to say, hey, I don't think that that's what being a man is all about. We mm-hmm. might be able to have an interesting discussion, but one of us on this call would be the one that gets to say what being a man is or is not. I think, you know, there's this whole, you know, in this world, I get exposed to a lot of men and the conversations about what it is to be a man. And there are so many other organizations out there, if you will, that are masculinity, this and masculinity, you know, mindful masculinity. There's so many different like brands out there that are about defining what it is to be a man today, defining what masculinity is today. And again, I don't like to overuse this because I feel like this is a, a word or an idea that is being used a lot, but I think used properly is appropriate. But like, what is it to be a more conscious man, you know, to be a more conscious, a more thoughtful man? As you mentioned, you know, it's one thing to be a man that can suppress his emotions and get stuff done, bring home the bacon and be successful according to worldly standards. But what does it mean to be a more conscious and thoughtful heart-centered man? I think that's another layer of the conversation as well. It's funny, man. I have a little bit of a problem with the word conscious. When these words get overused to the point where it's saturated and we don't even know what we're talking about anymore, I have an aversion to that. So words like conscious and holding space and presence, all that stuff. But when you say the word thoughtful, I'm like, ah, That's what I think of when I think of a conscious man is someone who's thoughtful, meaning Mm -hmm. you're thinking about when I'm being a thoughtful man, in my eyes, I'm thinking about more than just myself. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about the repercussions of my thoughts and actions on my family, on my community, on the future generations. So I hear that. I'm like, yeah. So what does it mean to be a thoughtful man, in your opinion? Wow, brother. Intentional. Being intentional with our words, with our actions, by the way in which we live our lives. Being thoughtful about the implications of our actions in the world in relationship to others, I think, you know. And it's funny, man. It made me think of, what was that old show, the Conjunction Junction? What is your function? 
Yeah, what was the show that that was that that, that was on? That. Oh man, I just remember they did a segment where knowledge was power. I think about the guys on my men's team who say, "Yeah, thoughts are great." So to be thoughtful is wonderful, but it really requires mm-hmm. somebody who leverages their thoughts into action that makes that worthwhile. So application, yeah, yeah. So a thoughtful man and an action-oriented man who can translate his thoughts into meaningful, aligned action. I think is yes, brother. Cool. Wow, that's a great warm-up, man. Especially for what we're talking about here today. I appreciate your perspective, and I can tell you're going to have a lot of wonderful things to say about this particular topic here. You know, pornography is something that we've talked about here on the show. In fact, I think it's about two years ago. I remember doing a Facebook Live myself and just talking about the journey of porn and what I'd learned about it up to that point and how it affected me in my life and putting it into a framework of the way that habitual viewing and use of pornography affects our brains and the ways that we learn to interact with. I mean, I remember I was listening to another podcast about somebody talking about porn and its effects on your brain. And then I went to the gym and I watched all of the dudes on the treadmill and on the weight sets when there was a really attractive woman walk by And they just, you could tell that they were engaging with her, but not communicating with her at all from a distance. And I was like, wow, this is just like a bunch of guys watching porn. You know, it wasn't saying anything about her specifically. It was more about the behavior and the way that we condition ourselves to interact with the opposite sex by habitual viewing of sexual acts in a certain type of way. So just from a ground level, because I also think the science and logic understanding of it is important. How does habitual viewing of porn affect us in your opinion? Well, it definitely impacts the brain and the physiology of our body. You know, there's this connection to the brain. It it releases dopamine in certain ways. And and we really do become addicted in that way. We become addicted to this desire or this need or standard for this dopamine rush that occurs in the mind and in the body. I think that's the simplest way, much like we might become addicted to any form of behavior or drug that has a similar release in the mind or in the body. So I think that's the simplest answer in terms of the physiology and and the biology behind it. You open up a door right to the conversation I think nobody's really having about this is, yeah, we could talk about porn and its effects on you all day long. And there's something that, yeah, you shouldn't do because it creates these patterns and conditions. But why are we doing this habitually in the first place? Why is it that when I get stressed out or overwhelmed in my life, the first thing I want to do is go lock myself in my room, pull out my phone and cruise around on some porn and masturbate? Yeah, man. I mean, that's really the deeper conversation. You know, what is it that we're really after? You know, the work that we do in our process, it's really a mindfulness-based process and a mindfulness-based program. So it's not just about learning to control the urge to use porn or how to navigate the urge, which is a skill and also very important in the process. But on a deeper level, what are we really after? And so often, you know, we've identified that really men in one way, using pornography, just like we might use cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, food in order to deal with our emotions. Very often we've adopted pornography at an early age. Many of us, 9, 10, 11, 12 in that range is a really common range, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little bit later. And we've never really learned how to manage, to deal with, to navigate our emotions in a healthy way. So I think that's one thing. And kind of beyond that is also many of us go to pornography or have gone to pornography in order to meet certain needs. Maybe we're actually feeling disconnected and we're longing for connection. Maybe we're looking for some sort of stimulation in our lives, you know? Maybe we're really interesting idea that I've heard, oftentimes we go to pornography because we're looking for a sense of significance, a sense of connection, a sense of love, maybe. Maybe we're just feeling bored, hungry, lonely, tired. There can be those kind of needs that we're often attempting to meet by going to porn as well. So I think those are the kind of some of the deeper implications that we may not be 
aware of for many of us. Yeah. Well, let's take that right from the conceptual to the practical. I mean, I'm looking, I'm thinking about myself as a 12 year old where I'm starting to get horny and I've got those hormones that are stirring. It's a lot easier to just pull up a porn site and masturbate than it is to, you know, fluff my feathers and practice the courtship of a young lady that will be interested. So I guess in essence, it's a much easier way to get a woman to take off her clothes and satisfy my sexual urges. Of course, that's what's going on in our society today. It's the quick fix. It's the energy drink. You know, it's the cell phone. It's the instant gratification and instant satisfaction. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's something we have to kind of relearn. We're kind of shortcutting a lot of processes in life, you know, and I think especially today, kids with cell phones in their hands, especially unregulated or unmonitored or unsupervised by parents is a really challenging trap because we have that right at our fingertips, you know, and of course that's going to be the easy, it's like push the button and get the satisfaction, man. So I think that's something we kind of have to relearn is how to attain and or acquire what we're looking for in life in a more healthier manner, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember I asked you before we started recording, I said, man, I want to get to the deeper layer of this conversation around porn. And I think yeah. we might have done it in the first 15 minutes because that's really the crux of it, right? Is that we are shortcutting these processes everywhere in our lives, whether we're talking about shortcutting an orgasm or shortcutting yeah. our sexual desires, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Everywhere we go, we're just looking for the path of least resistance and the quickest, fastest, easiest way for me to get there. And what we've learned is that that doesn't lead to the long term effects or results that we want to create in our lives. You know, if you want long-term partnership, you want satisfying, beautiful sexual intimacy with a partner that is directly affected by relationships with things like porn. hundred percent, bro. And you know, what we get back by removing things like pornography in our life and kind of taking that longer route, you begin to cultivate like a healthier relationship with like, man, just the lead up, you meet somebody and there's like this connection and you know what I mean? And then there's this courting stage, you know, and that's really the excitement, you know, the sex and the orgasm, things that may happen later. Of course, that's the crescendo of it all. But it's really that the courtship and the intimacy kind of leading up to getting back to that and really getting back to the subtleties of a smile or an engaging conversation or a woman giving you permission to be in her presence nude. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And getting to engage with her body again, you know, like that's really the reward of not shortcutting the process like that. Yeah. And that's why I put porn in the same category as things like drugs and alcohol and yes. other sub mind altering substances, because there's a pattern. I don't know how far back it goes, but definitely in, in the generation I'm a part of that we're a part of that manipulates our body's chemistry to change the way we feel mm -hmm. because we either don't know how or don't want to choose the alternative for how to change how we feel. Right. I think it's really simple. And, and so that's why I think you can plug in any one of these escapist strategies into the equation and, and see the same reason, at least the same rationale. I'm doing this because I either don't have another strategy or the other strategy is not as compelling. It's a lot harder. It takes a lot longer. It's not as instant. It's instantly gratifying, whatever it is. And that's the thing that we need to be talking about. That's the thing that we need to look at and how we can at least influence a new type of culture for these next round of guys who are coming up. Yeah, brother. Yeah. You kind of asked me at the beginning of our conversation today, you know, what does it mean to be a man? One of the things I think I mentioned is like a willingness to experience the full spectrum of our emotions and what it means to be human and a willingness to be with our emotions. And, and so often, like reflecting back upon my experience with pornography, we have this urge and that urge is very often, it might be sexual, but very often that urge is born out of I need something, you know, I'm craving something. Maybe I want connection. Maybe I want that significance, which I mentioned, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But a willingness to sit with that urge, to sit in the pain, 
it may feel painful to sit with that a bit and be with those emotions is so powerful and so helpful and so healing in so many ways and so it teaches us in so many ways, you know? I think it also prepares us. I would agree with what you said, and then I would advance it a little bit. I think it prepares us for the greater challenges of life, you know? Yes. I mean, all of the ways in which I escaped the hardships as a kid because they were too overwhelming for me did not help me to be a more present and prepared father, husband, provider of a family. Yeah. It's only the times where I had to lean in, embrace the challenge, learn how to step up when I didn't want to, that actually mm-hmm. allowed me to show up as the father, the partner, the husband that I want to be. 100%. And we're afforded so many of these opportunities, right? Throughout our lives. I think back all the way to when I was a kid, they just flood into my head. All of those moments of adversity, of embarrassment, those times where I just wanted to shrink and escape and get away from. Every single one of those was an opportunity for me to build my character and prepare me for the future. But you know what? There wasn't really anybody in my life, even though I have a great relationship with my parents, I think they did a great job with what they had available. There wasn't anyone in my life telling me, hey, this is helping you prepare yourself for the future. This sucks now, but it's going to make you a better person and a stronger, more capable person later on. I didn't hear that enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Adversity grows us and strengthens us in such powerful ways if we're willing to stand in it, if we're willing to be in it, you know, and sure. persevere. Yeah, brother. And then inevitably we rise to the occasion, we rise to the challenge, you know, and it's the same way with these emotions, with these impulses we experience around forward. Am I willing to be with this and not react, but to respond differently Again, in alignment with that man that I feel called to be in that life I want to live. Yeah. I was listening to some motivational content over the weekend. Sometimes when I'm doing my morning exercises, I'll throw on some of those. They have some great videos on YouTube where they got like inspirational music and they got guys like Eric Thomas and Les Miles talking. I love that stuff. And I think it was E.T. He was doing one of his things and, and he said something like, you know, when it comes to adversity, if you're sitting here and you're upright, you're undefeated. You're undefeated when it comes to adversity. And I could just imagine being in that room, looking around and looking at all the people who have been through all kinds of shit. And the fact that they were there and alive meant that they had made it through. When you don't give up, when you don't take the exit, discharge yourself out of life, then you win. That life is the victory. Survival is the victory. Staying in the game is the victory. And trying to escape it or trying to get out or find the back door is the opposite. Yeah. Even though it feels like the best immediate solution, you know, if I might just dovetail that into a big piece, a big component of the work that we're doing is I'm feeling this emotion, this urge, this impulse to go to pornography, whatever it is. And in the heat of the moment, I feel like I can't handle it. And I have to escape that emotion. I have to meet that need in some way, you know, and I can't handle that energy, that impulse within my body. You know, that's where at the end of the day, we can have all the community around us. We can have all the accountability. We can have the accountability software in place. We can be involved in the program and do all the work. But at the end of the day, that's where our commitment comes into play. That's where our sense of integrity comes into play. That's where I'm going to honor my word no matter what comes into play. And that's also why a powerful why and a connection to our sense of purpose comes into play, you know? And the work that we do, we spend so much time, I mean, in our program, in our process, we spend a lot of time digging in around that root relationship with porn and cultivating that awareness and understanding ourselves better in that regard. But along with that, we're doing so much work around cultivation and connection with the why. What am I no longer willing to experience in my life? What am I no longer willing to go back to that hell that many of us involved in pornography have found ourselves in? And what am I so committed to creating for myself and moving into that that why is going to anchor me in my commitment whenever that impulse to use porn comes up? So am I going to hold off and, and sit powerfully in that commitment 
versus taking the short, quick, easy route. That's a great segue. I just want to hit a few more things before we migrate away from the porn topic. Firstly, I'm just thinking that it's not always that we choose porn for nefarious reasons. I mean, I remember there was times where I would want to just watch some porn and masturbate because I was having a hard time sleeping. And I knew that, well, if I do that, it's going to like kind of dope me out a little bit. That's a lot less steps than going downstairs, making a cup of tea, waiting for it to cool off, drinking it and letting that calm my body down. Right. It's like, ah, if I just do this, that'll get me the result faster. Sometimes that's the case too. Maybe not in all cases, but sometimes we're just trying to solve a problem that we're experiencing and that's the fastest route. Yeah. We're trying to solve problems from a certain level of consciousness, you know? And so in the work we do, and this is not a new term, but in psychology, you hear about this or in a lot of addiction recovery work, you hear about this idea of halt. You heard about it? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. A lot of times, again, I'm, I'm trying to meet a need. I'm trying to meet a need. Maybe I'm feeling tired. Maybe I'm feeling restless. Maybe I can't sleep. So I'm going to pornography to, as you mentioned, solve a problem. But again, going back to that why conversation, which is such a big piece of the puzzle. If I do that, and especially as I do it as kind of growing in consciousness and I'm kind of more aware of the implications and the impact of porn in my life, I'm probably not going to feel too great about myself in the morning. You know, mm. I'm probably going to feel more tired. I'm not going to feel as great in terms of my sense of integrity, my sense of honor. I've gone back to that thing that I've continued to tell myself and be aware that it's just not in alignment. It's not good for me. It's not healthy for me. So am I willing to take that longer Actually, am I willing to read the book, go downstairs, get the cup of tea, maybe just kind of lay there and listen to a meditation or focus on my breathing and fall asleep so I can wake up and feel good about myself? Again, what Uh, am I no longer willing to tolerate in my life and being really committed to that? Sure. It's funny that you bring that up because I love that perspective. I was just in here in Rising Man headquarters with my buddy Rowan, and I was having a conversation with one of the guys I work with. And I said out loud, I said, yeah, man, there's no better drug than integrity. There's no better feeling than being in integrity. I don't care how many drugs you've tried out or, and I've tried most of them, you know, there's no better feeling than doing what you said you were going to do and following through on that. But that's also harder, right? It's a lot easier to score a fix off of a quick drug or something like that. Yeah, for sure, brother. I, you know, I'd love to just throw on there, you know, the work that we're doing is, again, we focus specifically on the pornography, but behind it all, the secret to our community is, you know, it's all about uh, personal and spiritual development. That's what we're all about. And so there's a lot of that theme in and amongst our conversation. It's about being better men. And one of the reoccurring conversations in our community is when you live life the easy way, life is inherently harder. But when you take the high road and you live life the harder way, life is easier. It's harder to say no to the pornography and not just flip on our phone and masturbate. You know what I mean? But there's going to be consequences there. But if we're willing to take the high road, if we're willing to live life the harder way, life is just better and easier. And we feel better about ourselves, feel better about the man looking back at us in the mirror. I love that. I love what you said there because I agree with it wholeheartedly. And I don't know if this fits in with your beliefs, but to me, I make a distinction between easy and simple. Something might not necessarily be easy, but it can be very simple making those choices to do the more challenging thing, it actually makes for a more simple life. It's like, well, Mm. I don't give in to my base desires. I don't give in to those things that I know are going to complicate my life. It keeps my life really simple when I have these commitments and I follow through with them. Although it's not easy because it's not easy to be a committed man. It's not easy to be a man of integrity. If it was, everybody would be doing it. It's a muscle, bro. (laughs) There you go, man. I am a full believer that no human being is born onto this planet innately knowing how to be a committed person. Right? Mm. Commitment to me is a practice. It is a yes. skill set. It's something you develop. It's like riding a bike. It's like writing, reading, anything else. You have to learn how to commit. And part of learning how to make commitments and be a committed person is failing. 
mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. You got to fail on some commitments to know how much it fucking sucks. Yeah. To me, there's no worse feeling on this planet than making a commitment and having to go back and say, I failed on that. I didn't honor it, especially on a men's team, man, where I'll own a failed commitment with them and they'll say, well, how come? How come you failed on it? The truth is I just didn't make it important. I didn't care. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you don't want to say that. You don't want to <laughs> say that to the person. I didn't call you back because I didn't care about you enough, bro. But that's the truth because I didn't make it matter enough. And having those experiences of failure, feeling the sting of a failed commitment mm-hmm. to strengthen my resolve moving forward. I don't want to bail on my commitments because I'd rather do the hard thing to navigate what I need to do to keep my word than to have to come back and say, hey, you know what? I didn't fight hard enough for it. 100%. That's why I feel like accountability within community of committed men is so powerful. And, and I'd love to just say two things there. First of all, I love accountability for that reason with other committed men. And I love public accountability. And for me, an example of that, like something I'm doing again, which I've done before in my life is 75 hard. And I'm doing 75 hard and I made that a public commitment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm sharing every day. I'm posting my stuff every day. So not only is, is the public and my audience seeing that, the men in my community are seeing that. So accountability is one thing, but I think public accountability is so powerful. And to go with that, commitment is a muscle thing. That's why I love challenges like 75 hard, because it really requires you just to build that sense of commitment, you know, honoring our word. And when we do it publicly, it's just so much more powerful. Oh yeah. I always say that it's not a commitment until somebody else knows about it. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Even when I catch somebody saying, yeah, I made a commitment to myself. I'm like, well, why'd you do that? (laughs) You're the first person that you're going to sell out, right? I mean, that was a belief that I always picked up from my men's team too, is that if you want to succeed, then make a commitment to someone other than yourself. Cause we've been selling ourselves out the whole time. Amen, brother. One of my first mentors, he kind of illustrated and illuminated for me how much we will like bend over backwards to meet and honor a commitment or a promise to another person. But we're like the first ones that we will not honor a commitment. Or it's a lot easier to not honor a commitment to ourselves, it seems, than for another. Really interesting. Yeah. What's your belief on that? Or what is something that you got from your mentor around that concept? What he kind of gave me, this was over a decade ago. And this was like my first like kind of mind mentor and my first kind of big investment in, into working with somebody, investing with myself at this level. And he really gave us, he said, instead of calling them goals or targets or commitments, he said, Call it a promise. He said, call it a promise because when we make a promise to someone else, as I mentioned, we'll oftentimes bend over backwards to honor that promise to another. So what if we begin making promises to ourselves in that same way? And that was kind of the takeaway of that lesson. I think that's actually pretty brilliant because when you're a kid, you don't learn about commitment. You know, in kindergarten, they don't say, did you make a commitment to do that? They're like, well, did you make a promise? I understand the mental side of that. We have a longer lasting context for what a promise is and a commitment. Exactly. So I like that, but I'm also kind of like an alternative type of guy. I've been talking to my son about commitments since, you know, he could actually pronounce the word and demonstrating that. And I make a solid effort. And he calls me forward on it, man. I tell you what, there's no greater accountability in the world than your child. Mm. They don't forget. You tell them we're going to go get ice cream today. They remember. (laughs) He said, said, Hey, you told me we were going to jump on the trampoline before bedtime. It's bedtime. We didn't do that. (laughs) And then I get to show him, well, this is what it looks like to be a man of integrity and commitment. It's built in accountability right there at its finest. I love that, brother. Yeah. As I mentioned, our community is really the fabric of, of our community is so much about personal and spiritual development. And we have this kind of manifesto we call it the noble code and uh, integrated right into our community and integrated right into our code. Several of the principles of the four agreements, which is a big book for me. And, you know, one of those agreements is I will be impeccable with my word. So we place such emphasis on becoming 
men that are more impeccable and in integrity with their work. And that ties right into the pornography conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Am I going to honor this commitment to myself? You know? Yeah. What is the distinction you make between impeccability and perfection? Well, I would say impeccability speaks to one of the other agreements of always doing our best. Perfection is something, it's almost like God or whatever your word for it is kind of gives it. It's what we're all working to. It's this ideal, which we may never attain, but it's like, it's what propels us into motion. It's this moving toward a greater version of ourselves and a greater version of our lives. You know what I mean? We all strive for it, but we really, in our community, we really focus on progress over perfection. It's really about the journey. It's about who we become along the way. It's about savoring that journey as well. And impeccability means, I think, it is my intention to honor my word at all costs. That's kind of what it speaks to there for me. Yeah, which, you know, for me, I tend to lean on my masculine here. I'm always looking for what is the black and white to make it even more simple. But the way I think about impeccability and perfection is that impeccability focuses more on the process than the result. Mm. I think perfection is more about the result. And impeccability, the reason I prefer impeccability over perfection is because impeccability leaves room for the side of us that's always human. Yes, you know, yes. That there is no way for any of us, if you've made it this far in life, you know that there's no doing everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's nobody who has never broken a commitment. There's nobody who has all of their T's crossed and their I's dotted. It mm-hmm. just doesn't exist. And in fact, the effort to try and pursue that is so overwhelmingly, it's just overwhelming and produces anxiety to try and live our lives according to that, that high standard that's unachievable. Mm-hmm. I feel like impeccability, it doesn't lower the standard, but it makes the journey more realistic. I think it leaves more room for grace. You know what I mean? It leaves more room for grace. And again, I think it really speaks nicely to, I always do my best. One of our codes, you know, one of our principles right here is, I always do my best because how I do anything is how I do everything. Yeah. In your community, how do you guys navigate failed or broken commitments? If you don't mind revealing some of your culture. Oh, of course, brother. You know, so first is integrity and complete ownership and accountability and personal responsibility. So just owning it, you know what I mean? I've really been moving away from, we've all made choices, certain choices in our porn abstinence journey. And very often that might look like a relapse, you know, but I've really gotten away from like using the language of it being a slip to it's a choice. Let's just own that it's a choice. It wasn't a slip. It wasn't like something came up and made you do this or you Maybe you got caught off guard with your emotions, but you made a choice. You know what I mean? I think that's a really big piece of it. So they come to the community, whether it's on a call or in a forum, they say, hey, just want to own this. You know, I broke my commitment last night. Here's what happened. I made that choice. What comes next? So, yeah, first of all, just fully owning it, taking 100% responsibility and ownership of the choice, not being a slip. And secondly, it really comes, okay, now let's assess there are repercussions of your action. We actually work them through a document. It's called the zero day document or the relapse recovery document, we call it. It's first of all, let's take inventory of how we're feeling right now. What was the ramifications of my action? If you're in a pit, if you're back in hell, if you're someone who's been on a porn abstinence journey, you know that day zero is the worst. You know what I mean? You committed not to going back there. Maybe you've been doing well for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and you find yourself back there at day zero. That's really can feel quite defeating. And that's why earlier I talked about the why. We break the why down into two pieces. What is the pain? What are we no longer willing to tolerate in our lives? And what is the pleasure? What are we we moving toward? So let's really take inventory of where you are right now. What, What is the ramifications of that action? Okay, how am I feeling? What are the impacts of my life? Where have I broken commitments? You know, how's my energy? How am I feeling spiritually? How am I feeling in terms of my sense of integrity? Let's really inventory that and own that and be aware of that. And now let's course correct. Let's extract the lesson. What happened? 
what could I have done better? How could I have been more proactive in that? You know, and, and really extracting all of the lessons that we inherently receive in all of our failures. And what's the plan of action moving forward? How am I going to take this lesson and really just do my best to implement it and make sure I grow and just do better next time? And it's just love and grace. And all right, let's improve now, basically. Yeah. And I think the response from the community is so important. I guess the culture around how do we respond to men who've broken commitments or failed? That was one thing that really allowed me to feel safe enough to be honest about my process and to grow within my men's circles was an agreement that, hey, I'm just like you. I've broken commitments before. I've had these things happen. I I mean, if I'm going to throw stones at you, then I'm just really throwing them at myself. And I think there's also a balance point here because I love that there is a lot more grace and understanding and compassion in men's communities around failures, because I think that's one thing that made it hard for men to own that for so many years. And then I think that there's also the other important balance of not just making it okay for guys to slip and break commitments all the time. Yeah, There's got to be some balance point there because otherwise we just become a community of, oh, it's okay. Try better next time. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's why we really just place such emphasis on being men of honor, men of integrity, men of accountability, and really owning that and being more noble men. That's actually the theme of our community. You know, we are noble men. So really owning that and committing to improving for next time. But as you mentioned, I think culture-wise, it's so important that it's non-judgmental. Yes, there are consequences to your actions and you did not honor this commitment, but you can come in here and it's always going to be love and grace because that has to be the environment that people are willing to return to just to show up and return to the path. And this is the place for you to be able to do that you know, without the judgment. And do you find that that's usually enough for the guys, let's say the guy who came in and failed on his commitment that just owning it and going through that process that you have, that that's enough to let him feel like he's back into integrity for himself? I think so. I mean, really the man's choice and the ramification of his choice is quite often punishment enough. You know, it's really quite painful. You feel like you left yourself down. You might feel like a pervert. There's like a lot of gross feelings that come up around it. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's a lot of just feedback that you get from your own experience and your own lessons to kind of spur you on. So, and then reconnecting you to yeah, giving enough love and support. So the man says, all right, I'm going to get back on the path. I'm going to take these next couple steps again. And then after a couple of days, maybe a week, you start to get your swagger back. You're connected to that purpose. Again, you've got the support of the community. You've got your lessons learned from that last choice that you made and you're back at it and you've made it a little further up the mountain last time, hopefully. So you know how to maybe sides that trigger again, or you know how to not get yourself into that mental or energetic space again in the first place. You know what I mean? So you're a little wiser if you've taken the time to really inventory what happened, you know? So, yeah. Let's talk about the rest of the men in the community, the guys who are witnessing a man who failed in his commitment. Maybe this isn't the experience for everyone, but I know that I've been in communities where I start to see myself taking it personally. Like now I have a charge with this guy who's coming in here. Maybe it's because it's a repeated failure that this guy demonstrates. Like, oh my God, we've been here before. How many times am I going to have to watch you make and break a commitment that generates something in me that I wasn't directly related to his process? What do you think about that? What are your thoughts on other guys who might take it personally? Well, we could go back to the four agreements and say, don't take anything personally. You know what I mean? (laughs) There you go. Yeah, sure. For real, brother. It's really embedded in the code. Well, let's just start with understanding why, because obviously that's a really simple solution. Well, just don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. But if that still happens for people, why do you think that happens for guys? I think it's just more important to focus our energy on our own journey. You know what I mean? And recognizing we've got our own flaws. When we point judgment at others, it's really just a reflection of what's going on inside of us. So yeah, I mean, personally, like as a coach, you know, in the men that are in our paid program, 
I don't like to see guys come in and continually, we'll just say mess up just for the sake of a better term or break those commitments. You know what I mean? Because I feel like it impacts the quality of the integrity of the group. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you're coming in, you're not honoring these commitments. You're kind of almost giving permission for the other brothers to not honor their commitments. But embedded in our formula is also a strong emphasis on leadership and saying, hey, brother, the way that you show up in here impacts the level at which the other brothers show up. Whenever you come in and you're not honoring your commitments, you're giving the other brothers permission to do the same. When you come in here and you own it and you do honor your commitments, you're also encouraging and you're being a powerful example to the other brothers who maybe are struggling, you know? So I think that's the impact. Yeah, I think there's something in us. I think it goes back a little bit more ancestrally. I'm thinking of men in combat together. You know, you really had to depend on people. And are you familiar with the Spartans and their culture and their fighting strategies at all? I'm familiar with the Spartans, but not a whole lot about the, yeah. Yeah, All right. Was, so, so they, I mean, they were widely revered as some of the greatest and most effective warriors of their time. And they had a number of different formations, but one of the keys to one of their formations was they had what was called the shield wall, right? Yes. So they had shield on one side, spear on the other, and the shield was massive, right? And the, that's why these Spartans were like, just like warriors grunts. They could hold up this massive shield, but the shield they would hold up only covered half of their body. So it covered half of their body and it covered half of the guy next to them. And so in this formation, each man was responsible for half of himself and half of the man next to him. So if I let my shield down, if I didn't hold that shield high, I was putting my buddy next to me at risk. And I think there's something about that where, you know, just leveraging that metaphor towards what we're talking about here. If the guy next to me is wobbly with his shield, it puts me at risk. Just like you said, it it compromises the integrity of the whole container because now it is, it's hard to hold up the shield, man. I get it. But seeing you drop your shield makes me less inspired to hold my shield up high. And then what happens to that domino effect as it ripples through the community? Yeah, 100%. You know, we teach this process, kind of our long-term process, we call it the freedom framework. You know what I mean? Like, what's the long-term approach? to getting porn behind you for good and really maintaining your abstinence long-term. And really the capstone of all that work, it really all comes down to leadership, recognizing that you're there to support the brother next to you. You're there to support the brother who's maybe behind you on the path or you're a little further along. And also as we step into leadership, we're inherently called to higher levels of living because people are now watching you. You're now a leader in that community and you're seen as such. So there's an inherent kind of standard that is expected of you hundred percent. And also in our work, as I mentioned, you know, it's all about getting clear on our relationship with porn and that work is being done throughout, but it's also about helping our brothers cultivate and strengthen that commitment muscle. And we have that embedded all throughout our process and our program. So, and as a matter of fact, the men that go through our program, if they don't honor the commitments and the standards and the expectations at a certain level, they're dismissed from the program with an opportunity to come back at a later time because if they're not showing up, again, it gives everybody else permission to show up at the same level, and it really diminishes the integrity of the group as a whole. There's a margin of grace, 100%, and it's always love. But at a certain point, you've got to be showing up at a certain level. How specific are you guys with your margins of grace? Because I always find that the simplest thing is to be objective, right? Like yeah. you get one oops, and then after two, it's done, right? That's black and white. But yeah. then when it gets to be subjective, that's where it gets tricky. Well, we have a strike system in place, as a matter of fact, and it's really clearly defined and I do my best to really enforce it. And interestingly, brother, it doesn't come down to the strike system, if you will. I was like, should I use the word strike or should I call it a mark or what word should I use? But we just went with strike for now, but it does not involve our porn abstinence. It actually involves everything else. And it speaks to, are you showing up on the calls? Are you doing your daily check-ins, which are required? Are you doing your homework? 
part of our work is a daily regimen of some exercise, some meditation, some reading and writing work. You know, we call it the core four. Are you honoring the core four and are you hitting your daily routine more days than not? So we're actually gauging our guys on all these other things, such as the commitment muscle and around the pornography abstinence. There is more grace around that because that's all about our own journey and we're just all growing in that, you know, so. Yeah. And I think that that's what's important, man. You know, standards, agreements, they're the lifeblood of any community or organization. As soon as there's leniency or someone looks the other way on a standard in an agreement, it doesn't matter anymore. The message, the translation is, well, that doesn't matter enough for anybody to fight for it or care about it. And on my old men's team, we used to talk about being the standard bearer, you know, right? If there's not somebody who's willing to stand up and make these standards matter, then what's the point of having them in the first place? Exactly. And I'm not doing my job as the coach if I'm not enforcing that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right. Which is not always easy. I know I've said in that position quite often. It's not always easy to be that because I'll speak for myself. I know that men are challenged. I know that men benefit by being in a space, but at some point you have to stand up for and defend the space over the individual because, you know, trying to protect the individual might end up compromising the space altogether. It really benefits everyone. If the men are showing up at a higher level, it supports them in their own personal journey, of course, because they are growing and they're strengthening that commitment muscle, but it also adds so much to the group dynamic when everyone is showing up at a certain level, man, this, the energy is just so much better. Beautiful. Well, man, time is running by so fast. We're almost out of time here. And I want to make sure there's one other question I wanted to ask you kind of circling all the way back to the initial porn conversation. Obviously, we spoke about some of the negative effects of it, but do you believe that all porn is actually bad? I don't. And I think that's another kind of just healthy quality of our program. First of all, we don't say that every person that uses pornography is bad or that's an inherently bad thing. I've encountered a lot of people who never really had an issue with porn, but maybe they use it sometimes and they kind of use it consciously to use that word again, you know, and they don't really experience all those feelings of guilt, shame, remorse and all the crap. And it doesn't have an adverse impact on their life. Or maybe some people use it consciously within their relationship. And a lot of women, it's coming more to light that a lot of women actually use porn. And for a lot of them, it's healthy. I know several. So we don't inherently cast any judgment toward the porn user, nor toward porn itself. Now, obviously, there are some genres of porn which are really just violent, frankly, you know what I mean? And degrading. And I don't think that's very cool. However, I think as long as it's a consenting adult that's making, you know, an informed decision, and they're in there in their own volition and not being manipulated, hopefully. And also, there are also genres of pornography, which are more kind of sensual, conscious. There's like more kissing. It's like a new approach to pornography, which seems to be more, more thoughtful, more conscious, if you will. You know? Yeah, that's kind of the realization I came to. I remember, I mean, just from myself, you know, putting myself in the shoes of the person you described in the beginning. I think the first time I ever saw any pornographic images was when I was about eight years old. I think that's mm-hmm. actually the average for first contact, whether it was by accident or you saw somebody else looking at it. But then like habitual use and viewing of porn and pornographic images by the time I was 11 or 12. Yeah. And so I remember at some point I was just, I need to stop doing this altogether for an extended period of time. I think for me, it was about a year that I just, it was when it wasn't an option for me and kind of like a hard reset on that for yes. myself. And then over the years, just kind of going back and forth a little bit and, and recontextualizing, reframing my relationship and understanding of it. I sit in the same boat as you, especially now having a daughter, right? There's a certain way that I look at pornography, like you said, the manipulation, the stuff that you don't know that goes on behind the scenes before yeah. the camera starts rolling. What situation is that person in that porn video or image entering that into? Are they entering at a need? Are they being manipulated? There's a higher conscious, a higher thoughtfulness, let's say, to bring that word back around the way that we're 
engaging with and participating in this industry. I think it would be a little bit naive and rapacious to just to take a hard swing and say, this is all bad. I think that's what we do societally is we just say, oh, this is bad. Let's be right. gone with it. Because the reality is, is that there's some people who are paying their bills and taking care of their family this way. And if they're yeah. doing it in a way that's conscious, that in some way contributes to society instead of detracts from it. But I think that's also highly subjective and we all yes. have to decide where we stand on it. Just like yeah. that conversation of what it means to be a man. You know, where do I stand on this position? Yeah. So beautiful, man. Thank you for your contributions on that. Thank you for everything that you shared today. Before we hear more about your programs and where people can find you and beautiful work that you guys are doing in your community, I've got a few quick questions to shoot at you before the end. You ready? Please do. Lightning round style. Let's do it. So what's one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Don't look at pornography. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Integrity, honoring our word. What does the world need most from men right now? Love. Beautiful. And last but not least, where can everybody go to follow you, find you, work with you, learn more about what you guys are up to in your community? Yeah, easiest place to find me is on Facebook. We have a private men's only community. It's called Making Peace with Porn. That's the easiest way to kind of get a feel for the conversation. You can also email me directly at makingpeacewithporn at gmail.com. Beautiful, Matt. Well, Man, it's great to connect with you. I really love everything you brought in here today. Just the vibe, man. We really flowed through that 45 minutes quickly. And I appreciate everything you're doing. Appreciate your perspective. Thank you for being a leader of men and being a standard bearer in your community because we need more guys like that on the front lines. And it's good to know you. Thanks, brother. Honored to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. All right, y'all, make sure you head over to risingman.org for the show notes for this episode and opportunities to become a bigger part of the Rising Man community today. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us and check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement with new content coming out each and every week that you won't find here on the podcast. So go over to YouTube, check it out, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. If you're over on Instagram, give us a shout out, tag us, let us know that you're listening, that you're representing Rising Man out there at Rising Man Movement on IG. Hit us up, follow us say what's up let us know how you're digging what we're putting out at rising man big ups to my rising man power team leadership team and the rest of the rising man family out there each and every one of you yes you you know who you are thank you for being a part of this and playing your role in making this movement move until next time rise up and claim your destiny